0: Welcome to The Follow-Up, a weekly podcast that goes in-depth into projects recently reviewed on Brand New, featuring conversations with the designers and sometimes their clients, uncovering the context, background, and design decisions behind the work. Hi, this is Bryony Gomez-Palacio, and welcome to episode 12 of The Follow-Up. This week, we're following up on Tend a new dentist practice with six locations in New York, aiming to redefine the dentistry category through service, experience, and design. The project, designed by New York-based Mythology, along with a number of collaborators across fashion, product design, and photography, was posted on Brand New on July 27th. You can pull it up on your browser at bit.ly slash bnpodcast012. That is l y slash b n. 12 podcast zero one two all in lowercase. This week we're joined by Anthony Spurdutti, partner and creative director at Mythology, and Steve Hoffnagels, senior vice president and head of design at TEND. We are also joined by a loud ambulance near Steve's apartment in New York at around the 20 minute mark. In this conversation Steve shares the ambition of TEND to redesign, redefine, and reimagine the customer's journey of going to the dentist, transforming it from something no one enjoys to something to look forward to. Anthony highlights the importance of working with a client that has clarity on what they want to achieve and that trusts their creative partners to get there. We also delve deeper into the groovy, marbled pattern of, as Armin calls it, swishy goodness. Now let's listen in as Armin follows up with Anthony and Steve.
1: Hi everyone, welcome to the follow-up. Today we have Anthony from Mythology and Steve from Tend. Welcome to the show guys. Thank you so much for having us. Couldn't be happier to be here.
2: And yeah, so excited to, uh, to talk about Tend.
1: All right. So just uh, for listeners, the first one that spoke was Anthony. The second one was Steve. And we're going to start with you, Steve. From what I have gathered online, the business side of Tend was set up in 2018, give or take. And it seems you joined early on in the process. Can you tell us how you became involved and
2: what those early months looked like? um i joined tend uh really early i was tend's fifth hire And when I joined 10s 10 TENS didn't have a name yet, but I think we did have a clear goal, um, which is to redesign an experience that everybody knows, but nobody really likes, which is going to the dentist. And what we started doing in those early months is essentially just a lots of uh, user research. So we spent a lot of time understanding uh, sort of likes and dislikes as it relates to dental experiences. Uh, We talked to people in person, obviously. We also just looked through tons and tons of reviews of dentists. Uh, to understand sort of what people liked and and didn't like. Uh, What we also did is we opened up a pilot practice, actually. We started a little dental studio in in Tribeca uh, that we actually ran for about 10 months, and we saw 1,500 patients there uh, to sort of firsthand understand lots of things, but also sort of to test out ideas, see what works, see what didn't work, things like that. Um, And, you know, one of the big things that we did is uh, we created a service blueprint or or sort of a user journey, if you will, to guide our roadmap, just to really understand how this experience unfolds today and how it should unfold in the future in the way that we imagined from becoming aware of the brand to booking a visit to showing up to the location and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, And that helped us really sort of design the journey with real intent. And of course, we started uh, working with mythology. That was, uh, that work actually already kicked off before I joined, uh, which was amazing. So super early in the journey. Mythology was sort of part of the the 10 story. And we uh, uh, we worked on uh, sort of our brand strategy, our identity, and also uh, directional design for our studios. So lots of sort of big pieces uh, that we uh, started to put in place. Pretty quickly, very early in in sort of the history of the
1: company. Setting up a full uh, dentist practice, that's pretty impressive. So Anthony, sounds like you were there before Steve. What was those earlier days like?
3: (laughs) Well, we were brought on by the CEO and founder, as well as his partners, a group called Juxtapose that helps incubate brands. And we have worked with them in the past. And are pretty like-minded when it comes to what we expect out of a brand and and ultimately what companies we want to put out into the world and how consumers uh, will interact with them and so when we were brought on the ambitions were really big to take this incredibly lack of a better word stale unimaginative stuck in the past experience and not just change it a little bit not just change you know a better toothbrush or a slightly nicer looking practice to walk into, but rather, holistically, how do you rethink it from top to bottom? And that grand ambition was something that really excited us. So in our practice, in our studio, it is a lot about taking a couple steps back and really questioning some fundamental assumptions in in, in a category. So that was really fun for us to do, even before the creative started, really understanding what can we change, you know, you can't change everything. If you change everything, then it becomes unrecognizable. So some things might evolve, some things might have to stay the same so that there's familiarity, but really taking a step back with the founder and with the guys at Juxtapose to really go, okay, how can we really rethink this? Um, so that was really fun for us to do. And that meant the playing field was really wide open and I think there was a pretty wide range of exploration both strategically and creatively until we started narrowing down and so things started to feel and coalesce around the brand that, that ultimately got launched.
1: And were you surprised at all that a dentist brand would have such a big interest in design from the beginning? Like I imagine that that's not a common thing for most designers business, like most dentists don't come with high ambitions on branding and identity.
3: Well, I think that's one of, one of the first things I would say that's a, a point of difference is to me, it was a group that was looking to rethink oral health care. So dentistry and a dentist practice is part of that. But when you think about it, you know, a couple levels up, then it's not that strange, right? Then if you're talking about wellness and health, that should have design in it, right? That should be something that gets rethought. And like many other categories in our life of the last generation where design has really improved, that to me, you know, like once you reframe what we were actually set out to do, then it actually isn't that unusual. It actually was more unusual to look around and say, how come no one has done this before? And really that ends up just becoming part of the, wow, what these guys stumbled upon was an insight that no one is willing to take this holistically and reframe it in a completely different way. Um, and have the ambition, the scale, and the, and the resources to do it properly.
1: And I think a part of it is because so many people are just so used to the experience that they just don't question it. It's just like assume there's gonna be a horrible experience or a mediocre experience from start to finish. So why bother with something that people have accepted as that's how it is? So Steve, were you surprised when someone brought you on board to head design for dentistry?
2: I was, uh, and it's actually one of the reasons that I decided to- to join like one way of looking at design is good design is in a way maybe the difference between solving problems and solving problems really well and I think it's pretty clear that the industry just a ton of problems that needed to be solved really well. You know, everybody goes to the dentist, but nobody really enjoys it. And it's a really rich experience, but it's an experience that's sort of rich in all the wrong ways, right? So what comes to mind when you go to the dentist, there's bright lights, there's loud sounds, you know, drills maybe that you might hear. There's bad smells uh, that, that can be really disconcerting, discomfort waiting. You may feel judged because you probably didn't floss as much as you should have, and and your dentists or hygienists are probably gonna tell you that uh, you didn't do a good job flossing. You may get upsold and, and get recommended things that you might not actually believe you need. And then, you know, sometimes what happens is after your visit, you get a nice little surprise in the mail months later with sort of a bill that you weren't expecting. So dentistry is just, from an experience perspective, has a reasonably low bar, and it's sort of reflected in the net promoter score of, of dentistry as a whole. It's at one, which is really low. It's, it's only two points higher than cable companies. What, what that results in is that honestly, most people don't go as often to the dentist as they should. And they don't take care of their mouths as well as they should and that's sort of just a bad thing in, in the end so when you really think about it it's a really obvious sort of design project uh, where there are just so many moments to tackle and to not just only make better but to reframe and to really sort of reposition a little bit to create an experience that is, that is so different that you might actually you know enjoy. Uh, going to the dentist. You do need great dentists, right? So it's great dentistry is sort of necessary, uh, uh, but not sufficient to, to them deliver an experience that is great overall. And that's, I think, where we uh, really try to innovate sort of the things around it. You know, let's build on that great foundation of great dentistry, great clinical care. And let's make everything around it sort of as amazing.
1: Yeah, I think it's easy to underappreciate dentists just because of how much we all hate going to the dentist, but it's not their fault. What they're doing is insanely amazing. You know, just getting over the fact that you're going into people's mouths day in and day out and fixing horrible things sometimes, but pretty things every now and then uh, in terms of teeth and tongues, whatever, and gums. Uh, but you mentioned that there's all these moments that you can improve and how the, the bar is there pretty low, but you decided to not just raise the bar, but raise the bar across pretty much every moment, uh, which means that you hired a lot of uh, different creatives in different industries to help build every aspect of TEND. So what was the general brief or guidance you provided as they each started their own process?
2: You know, it takes a village, obviously, right? So in in such a multifaceted experience to create it, you need so many different experts that sort of add value in different ways to a project like this. So we partnered very closely with mythology and sort of brand strategy and, and identity. And that's a really great foundation to start from for many of these projects, right? It provides sort of guidance on sort of how to execute specific moments in the journey. Uh, what we also did is uh, is the user research, and helped us understand really sort of where the friction was in the journey. What we did is we enlisted uh, people to help us. Uh, rethink uh, the moments where we, where we saw opportunity just across a range of different disciplines. And maybe one example that might be helpful to, uh, to sort of talk about is this idea of, uh, we call the brushery. So in our, in our journey, we created a new moment, right? So we realized through user research that uh, when people go to the dentist, they often feel that they uh, need to brush their teeth right before their visits. Turns out it's actually dentists don't really care, hygienists don't really care, but people feel like I gotta show up with clean teeth, it's kind of bad form if I you know have a coffee and I go to the dentist. And what people end up doing is they sort of maybe brush their teeth in the bathroom of the dentist's office, which is kind of awkward and weird and, and sort of not a great experience. So we solved for that by creating a dedicated space that we called a brushery in every single studio uh, that is not tied to a bathroom where you just have a moment where you can refresh and sort of feel good about starting your visit. Now, we kind of could have stopped there, but we wanted to make that experience really amazing and expressive as well, right? So we wanted to sort of celebrate this idea of uh, how amazing and fun and how rich oral wellness and taking care of your mouth and brushing and swishing and swirling and all that stuff could be. To do that, we worked with a ton of different people. We worked with an artist to create this amazing pattern that is sort of inspired by this idea of swishing and swirling and all all the things that sort of happen in your mouth when you're brushing your teeth. Um, And then we uh, worked with a wallpaper Company called Flavor Paper to apply that pattern to custom wallpaper and have that little space sort of decked out floor to ceiling in that wallpaper. We put in custom sinks, so we worked with this amazing studio called Concrete Cat, uh, an artist studio in Montreal that poured sort of custom sinks for us that again were inspired by this idea of swishing and swirling. And then we're like, okay, well, when people look in a the mirror, they probably want to feel pretty good about themselves. We designed these beautiful mirrors with sort of a ring light uh, surrounding them custom for us with Lucas Floss, which is a local lining fixture manufacturer here in New York City. You know, and then when you walk out of the brushery, there's a big photo that you actually see it in a light box on the wall. And that photo was taken by a photographer called Brayden Olson. And it's a photo of, you know, maybe not the traditional smile that you might expect in a dentist office where teeth are 100% perfectly white and 100% perfectly straight. It's intentionally, you know, still a really appealing and attractive smile, but it's, teeth might not be perfectly straight and 100% wide just to make you feel a little bit less judged and sort of for us to communicate visually, hey, attend, everybody's welcome, every mouse is welcome, um, no matter what your goals are for oral health. So, you know, that's just one example um, that maybe illustrates how it requires so many different people from different disciplines to create some of these moments in a way that reframes the experience and creates a, a, a new experience.
1: Now, Anthony, uh, in terms of reframing this whole experience, when you first started on the project, I'm guessing there were a lot of preconceptions that you had to get over in terms of what the dentist industry looks like. What was that like for you and your team? In just kind of like saying, all right, we need to rethink this. How did you approach that?
3: Sure. I mean, I think for us to start strategically and understanding that unlock or that insight. And for us, you know, the big shift was, how do you make something, uh, an experience that's reactive, where you're like, I've got a problem, or I, I, I know I'm six months behind my cleaning, and it's a very reactive reaction. And what we want to do is like, what if we wanted to make it proactive? What happens when you want to actually go, and you're looking forward to going, or you're so enticed by the experience, the marketing, or word of mouth? So. Once we, we settled upon that as like a defining part of what we wanted to design towards, to us, and thankfully, we have no experience in the dentistry category. So for us, in some ways, it was kind of easy. You have, I shouldn't say easy, but it wasn't that kind of challenge that impeded us because we have a pretty interesting dynamic that we want to flip on its head from reactive to proactive. And then we come from a place where we're, you know, we've designed stores, designed Warby Parker stores or stores for all birds or Sonos and categories where design is important, where it's modern and fluent in culture and is relevant. So for us, we were comfortable swimming in those waters and it was, okay, we're going to bring that category to us as opposed to us going to that category. And, you know, the team of the, the founder and the, and the guys, um, surrounded by the founder were wanting that, it then becomes something where the only mistake we could have made is being too similar to what is currently out there. So we were given permission to be able to not at all think about that category, but rather the the categories we're used to, or those ty- kinds of retail stores, the kinds of uh, brands that we were used to building were actually much more akin to what they wanted. So it really starts with the founder's vision of, hey, I want to flip this on its head. I'm coming to you because how you see Retail and brand and consumer experience—that that's the big insight right there—is that they're coming to us, and so we knew we had permission to to do that.
1: That's a wonderful uh, way to look at it, especially how you know instead of uh, you doing what the industry or the category demands, you do what you demand from yourself and your experience and your work with other industries. So that's uh, that's a really great insight for anyone out there that you don't always have to conform to what the category does just because that's what's expected, and you're brought in for your expertise in design strategy etc so you have this great strategy in place this great insight now let's switch a little bit to the actual design of the identity which you know everything from the logo to the color palette to the photography is very as we've been talking about is very undentist like and which is pretty much a compliment so what was your and your team's main goal and philosophy as you started designing choosing typefaces colors photography things like that
3: Well, I think, you know, if our strategy is to flip all those assumptions, well, okay, so then it gives you permission then to what are all the things that are typical and going 180 degrees from that. So you start to go, okay, we want to turn everything around. And then for me as a creative, I go and and my job in helping kind of shepherd the creative as a creative director, how do we make something feel warm? How do we make something feel human? making sure it doesn't feel too corporate, it doesn't feel too cold, doesn't feel too sterile. You know, when you reverse engineer where a lot of those cues from that category came from, you know, the dentist industry is a lot of mom-and-pop shops, right? Dentists that start their own practices. Uh, They've been around for years and probably had to do certain things that gave the the people in their community faith that it was going to be, you know, a very um, professional, very sterile, very you know, safe uh, environment. And then those become cues and vernacular of a category that then other mom and pops see, well, that's just how dentists do it. So you've got this whole set, you can see where if you reverse engineer where that comes from. And then for us, we're going, okay, this generation, we know who our audience is. They're going to trust us. We're not going to have to earn that trust. There's a lot of assumptions that people are going to make if a store, if a practice is opening in Flatiron and Wall Street in Williamsburg, if their marketing is, legitimate like there's a a much shorter um, much lower bar to cross well then that opens us up so then we don't have to be that sterile um, almost inhuman to to gain someone's trust rather we can skip that part and start adding warmth and personality and all of a sudden psychologically when someone sees like the photos Steve was talking about where they're not perfect and the mouth isn't perfect and there's a little bit of wit or there's a little bit of personality to it your blood pressure just lowers a little bit right And then the friendliness of the colors and and nothing that feels cliche, but it's unexpected. The warmth of the person greeting you, what they're wearing and the materiality of it doesn't feel like a nurse's scrub or something that, that again, starts triggering you into a world where you're like, I don't want to be here. So you just start taking all of those little, you know, subconscious cues and, and vernacular and go, why does it have to be this way? And again, once you have the permission from the people that hired us and that we're working with, because obviously it's a big collaboration, to flip all those things on its head, then you start to go, God, well, if we're going to do this, we can do this, 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 and this. And it becomes fairly easy. Then it's about how do we make a warm, human, inviting brand that still has some seriousness to it, right? It's not a joke. It's not a, it's not a gimmick, but break enough rules where people really feel like their mental state is quite different than it would be in a typical dental practice. That's what uh, we're most proud of, right? Like, Whether it's this typeface or that typeface or this color or that color, it's the overall truly what the brand's persona is and what that's able to do for a patient is really the thing that we're proud of that we're able to achieve and and succeed at.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think uh, all those choices of typefaces and colors, which become secondary to the intention, I think all those were pretty good choices overall and they do convey that everything you're talking about which is warmth personality and just taking you away from being defend on the defensive as you mentioned like you're always coming in like you don't want to touch anything you don't want to feel at peace and i think uh, with the design those cues that you introduce they soften the whole mood so steve from your point of view did the identity design and branding begin to shape up as you and your team envisioned? Uh, meaning, was it easy from the start for both uh, Tend and Mythology to sort of chart your way in what is relatively uncharted territory, redesigning the oral category?
2: Look, it's never easy, uh, but it's always fun. Um, so uh, once your strategy starts uh, sort of coming into focus, so you, you find ways to express it in so many different ways. right? So we talked about colors and typefaces a little bit. The beauty and sort of the amazing thing about a dental experience and sort of designing that uh, end to end, it's really a service design project. When you walk into her studio, there are so many details that you experience and each of those details are sort of designed, right? So your sort of brand is expressed actually through... The way that our studios smell—we know that people don't like uh, the way that a dental uh, office smells, so we created our own custom scent. You see the uniforms that we design. You see, sort of, you hear the words that we sort of have chosen uh, as you're welcomed uh, into the studio. Uh, the light is really nice. Uh, you might see your name on a screen, welcoming to your studio, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So there's just a ton of different ways to express uh, the brand essence that sort of then all in sort of our members' minds sort of add up. To an overall impression of the brand. So I, once you sort of had that strategy in place, and then sort of in theory start expressing it, right? Like, did a lot of work before we opened our first studio. You still don't quite really know until you launch it whether you've hit the mark uh, or not. So right before we launched, sort of we took stock of uh, sort of what we'd done, and you know we were hoping that most we got most of the stuff right. But of course, you never really know. We're a little bit further along now, so we we've got some signals now from the market. The brand is kind of landing the way that we intended it. Um, it's kind of working the way that we envisioned it. So really found compelling product market fit. Our studios, we have five studios now. They're booked out you know, weeks in advance, sometimes months in advance. So it's both good and bad. It's good, there's demand there, but it's, it's bad because people don't like waiting for the dentist so much. So, so we keep opening up new studios to sort of provide that availability. If you remember, the MPS and the dental industry as a whole is one which is not good. Our net promoter score, which is a measure of, of satisfaction, essentially in the experience is 85. So it's 84 points higher than the industry uh, average. That's a really, really high MPS. MPS doesn't go higher than 100. hundred. Like, that's a great place to be. You know, and we also ask our members if they would be disappointed if they could no longer visit Tend. And um, over 90% of our members actually would be disappointed if they could no longer visit 10. So I think we're starting to really get some signals back from the market that this this experience is landing as we had imagined and people are enjoying it.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, when you have that kind of uh, reception in... Any industry to just have that big of a jump in approval—that's pretty amazing. Now, early on in the conversation, you mentioned the swirl, and it's one of my favorite elements of the identity. How did that come about? Who first pitched the idea of like, yeah, let's have this swirly pattern of you know swirly goodness? That it's kind of it's really unexpected for anything, not just dentistry. You know, the the, the fact that it's all over. On a jumper, you know, I would love to have one. I don't know if I can pull it off, but it's one of those things that, because I see a lot of applications on brand new, but every now and then there's uh, one or two that just blow my mind. And I think that jumper in that pattern is so great. Uh, But then I also love how you can twist it and it's just the detail on the scarf in the uniform. So I love how it can take on this really kind of like extreme versions of itself. So how did that come about?
3: I want to say that we had presented an idea, a pattern that was based on the idea of like, if we had a piece of floss and creating some type of repeating pattern. And I think the guys on the 10 side were like, that's interesting, but not quite right. What are some other things that would do the same thing, but maybe visually quite different cause it didn't quite work. And we were exploring on the retail side, this idea of foam in the mouth and, and that clean, fresh feeling. And I think these guys got really, the ton guys got really excited about that as a conceptual area. And then one of my art directors did just a, basically a big search um, and came across that artist that um, Stephen had mentioned. This whole project has been a really good example of collaboration between studio and client, where everyone is kind of coming at it with, we all want to get to the same place. Everyone is kind of doing their part in their position. And um, it was a good back and forth to get us to that into their Credit saw it and was like, "Oh God, this is great!" And it could be, this could be on jumpsuits. This could be moving pattern on a screen state. Like these guys really embraced it and gave us, you know, the ability to embrace it too and, and find other ways to use it. Hopefully, not abuse it and use it too much. But it becomes those things where it doesn't only have to be a logo that becomes something that the consumer, or that patient, recognizes. It could be a scent. It could be a color. It could be a pattern. It could be all of the above. Uh, What we love when we create brands is that the world that we create for that brand is rich and complex and there's unexpected moments. And it's not just one dimensional. It's not just uh, one color that we blast everywhere and uh, one typeface and call it a day. That really belittles the richness and the depth that the brand and that these guys wanted to create. So our job is then to be able to provide that depth and to provide that uh, level of visual interest so it feels akin to the, all the thought, all the work, hard work that these guys did to make that experience have that depth.
1: And you brought a good point about collaboration. And that is a question that I had for Steve that about how much collaboration was between the separate artists and designers and creatives that you had working or were they working together at any point or was it more of your job to align them all together behind the scenes?
2: That was sort of more my job, Um, and again, I think sort of having a clear strategy in place and having sort of a clear understanding of what we're trying to do and sort of what this brand is about is just a huge asset, right? It helps you to sort of express this brand in any medium, any format, any sort of moment of the journey. What I focused on, uh, one of the things I focused on is really this idea of a, a user journey and sort of really thinking through the journey and understanding sort of, okay. This moment needs to be about reassurance. This moment needs to be about building trust. This moment can actually be maybe a little bit more sensory rich and can be really fun, and so on and so forth. And then finding the right talents to express each of these moments with that intent in mind. So we worked with a a fashion designer, Tafik, and uh, when we uh, worked with him, we had the pattern defined already. And we're like, OK, for our uniforms, we want to create uniforms that are really beautiful, obviously, that fit in the brand world. They should also just be really functional. They should fit great. They should be easy to clean, you know, all of those things. And they should make people feel their best um and, and we landed on uniforms that are actually actually reasonably subdued but that have a pop of the pattern so in our studios actually people don't wear the head to toe uh, jumpsuit uh, maybe in the future but they don't, they don't today so they wear a pretty subdued uniform but they use the scarf sort of maybe in their hair or around their neck or in some other way um to provide maybe a little visual accent same thing in their studio the entire studio is not decked out in wallpaper with a pattern on it. It's just a small room, the brushery. So it's uh, just little moments uh, that provide sort of a, a little accent and a little sort of uh, point of interest. And then overall sort of it creates an impression that is trustworthy and, and sort of uh, you, you, you believe you're gonna get, be taken care of in a really good way, but also a little bit unexpected and has a twist, you know, here and there. Um, and that's you know great when you create and can create a brand that has sort of an identity that is so rich and multi-layered uh, that it can flex to all those different uh, moments and sort of create those different moods while sort of preserving the the throughline uh, of the brand.
1: Well, I think if you had everybody dressed in those jumpers, your approval rating would jump to a hundred uh, and <laughs> <to> overnight <laughs> success. Yeah.
2: And, and those jumpsuits they were super fun to make. So we actually used them for um, some activations that we did when we launched our first studio in Flatiron. So we had a team on the streets in New York City actually decked out in these jumpsuits going around the city or with giant toothbrushes. Uh, you know it was meant to be kind of silly and it, and it kind of was kind of silly. But uh, yeah, we you know that fabric was created for us in in Italy and it was uh, sort of sewn for us to our design right here in the, in the garment uh, district in New York City. It was a super fun project.
1: Yeah, that is wonderful. All right, so trying to sum up the conversation here. So Anthony, from when you first heard about Tend to now seeing the finished studios, the uniforms, the website, did this all turn out like anything you may have or have not expected?
3: I would be honest and say, I think it did turn out how we expected even from the early days of conversation. I think to Doug, the CEO and founder's credit, he was pretty clear in what he wanted to set out to do. And we had a couple months of some pretty wide exploration that was really pushing the boundaries of that. But where we landed made complete sense and is not surprising in a good way because I think he had a very clear goal and a very clear benchmark of what he wanted to achieve. And I think the thing that I'm surprised by or pleasantly surprised by is the ability by Stephen and, and everyone at 10 to take you know some of the kernels of stuff that we had and just take that and run with it and just execute it well, add to it, execute it at scale. Because in our world, a fair amount of times, what might happen is we might all get to a really good place. And obviously, you know, we're an external partner. We're not in the day-to-day. And some of those things break down or some of those rules fall apart or people get bored of it and move on to something else. And and all that great work and intention doesn't come to fruition, really. So I'm not surprised because everyone at the, on the 10 slide has been incredibly good partners and, and incredibly good at what they do. But it, it is more uncommon than common where something that we might do with a client, starting from scratch when it's a blank piece of paper, and where we land, and then what goes out into the world, and then what gets built upon, a lot of times that really goes can go off course, maybe for good reason, maybe for... Other reasons but this that's the nice surprising part but actually creatively where we landed i think we landed there because it felt right for what the goal was so in some ways not surprising
1: Yeah, and it sounds like from the beginning, you had, as you mentioned a few times, that you had the permission to go in this territory that was sort of unexplored in the category. And you just went there with gusto and bravado. And it's nice to hear that, yeah, we landed where we wanted to because everything building up to that moment set up that moment of success for the brand um, to carry it forward.
3: Yeah, and I, I would say to me, like if you were to underline what makes a good client and a good collaboration between a studio and a client. It's having that clarity and then having that permission to go there and then having a fair amount of trust because there's a lot of points in the creative process where it's a leap of faith. I can't tell someone why one serif is better than another serif except, you know what, I've been doing this a long time and it feels right to me. You know, we might be able to objectively get to a creative sandbox and go, hey, we all agree on these basic area that we're exploring of these basic ideas. But now we're getting really specific on this exact PMS color or on this very specific typeface, or this very specific material that's going to be part of the physical design. And some of those things just become subjective when it gets very, very granular. And so for me, like that idea of permission, the idea of trust, the idea of, hey, our partners, we've all aligned strategically where we're going. I like their track record. They're not leading me astray. I don't quite get why they're arguing over one or the other. It looks the same to me, but I'm going to trust that. And, th- and that to me was the, the process from the very beginning with 10 and, and hopefully one of the reasons why it succeeded, because there was really good collaboration and trust in, on both sides.
1: For sure. So, Steve, well done for uh, giving Anthony and, their te- and his team permission to do all this stuff for you and, uh, you know, the other leaders at 10. But then moving forward, what is the most exciting or useful aspect of this identity as you continue to evolve the brand and the business?
2: Mythology has given us such a, a great uh, sort of strategy and identity and such a great toolkit. and. What's exciting is to keep applying to this to sort of different scenarios in different places. Right. So maybe a couple examples. So we've talked about sort of the obvious sort of designy things of this experience. Right. Like the colors and the pattern and things like that. What's just really amazing about or really fun and interesting, I think, about the work that we're doing at 10 is we are truly pulling this brand through in, in places that you might not expect. So one specific example is uh, the way we compensate our dentists. You know, our brand is about earning trust, and earning trust, we we earn it in many different ways through our color palette, through other uh, sort of systems in the identity, but we also earn it through the way that we compensate our dentists. So we're like, okay, attend. We figured out that our brand really is about earning trust. So let's just compensate our dentists differently. So we compensate our dentists based not on the amount of procedures that they recommend, whether they recommend five procedures or 10. They're not making any more or less money. Uh, We sort of compensate based on patient uh, satisfaction. So happy members, happy dentists. And that's just an example of where we've sort of taken the core of the brand and sort of applied it to not just the identity and the typical areas of design, but we've applied it all the way to a sort of compensation philosophy uh, to help build this brand to sort of make it really strong at all levels. So there's going to be more of that. Um, you know, We're going to keep introducing new services. Um, we're going to keep opening up new studios. Um, there's just so many different places. Uh, that this brand can go i I think we'll, we'll continue to have a lot of fun with this brand for many years to come
1: yeah it definitely sounds exciting and you know yesterday i had actually a dentist appointment and i was sitting there in my dentist at a strip mall and just thinking like man this is not tend at all so it's uh it's amazing when you're able to see someone both from the client side and the design side be able to redefine a category and reset expectations of what your experiences should be in these things that we take for granted. So thank you, Steve, for sharing all the insight about how 10 came to be. And thank you, Anthony, for sharing how you approached it from your point of view. So thank you again for being on the follow-up today.
2: You're very welcome. Thanks for having us.
0: The key term that came out of this conversation was permission of having permission from the client. Not in the sense of them being an authority and granting you permission to do the job, but in the sense of a client empowering you and broadening your scope to push boundaries and redefine expectations. Also, after listening to this episode, you might wish your dentist had a swishery. Today, thanks for listening. Until next time, we'll be here. We hope you'll be there.